I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the Raw Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Danley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamper and Michael Sidgwick, to look back on last night's episode of Monday Night Raw. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review Monday Night Raw, but also SmackDown, NXT 2.0, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, pay-per-views, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick, or will be joined by Michael Hamlet in due course. Right now, joined by Michael Sidgwick to discuss Monday Night Raw. And it was good again. It wasn't. Oh, it wasn't. The format of the show, the plot holes with which they arrive at main events, impromptu matches, I genuinely believe the format of the show means that WWE Raw and your precious WWE SmackDown are automatically bad. (laughs) Seriously. Someone pointed out on Twitter, what was the cage doing there? Could they not have baked in some kind of storyline explanation for why the cage would be there before the events of the show necessitated a cage? But you can't get a cage from thin air. The cage was there first, and then the plot development that warranted the cage happened after. So why is the cage there? This tweet got a decent amount of traction. I'm not disagreeing with the tweet. I'm saying that this is not a special case. The events of this show are arrived at in the most convenient way imaginable. If there were no arguments or no one pestered such and such Pierce and DeVille for a match, there would be no matches. It's the most convenient plot hole ridden rubbish. Even when the angles are good, and they don't even do angles, they just do promo battles. So that's, you know, irrelevant. <laughs> even when the action's hot, it's still a little bit soulless. It's still a little bit formulaic. Even when they actually have someone who can either transcend the rubbish scripting or they are trusted enough to go off script Like, the format of the show means that it is automatically horrible from a fundamental (laughs) writing perspective. So, in the long answer to your question, 
And indeed, every time you ask this question until the day comes where they completely revamp this rotten format, Raw is automatically not just a bad TV show, but the worst TV show of all time. Uh, it's there, are, there are good versions of the bad show. Right. Much like there might be a decent execution of Morris dancing, right? <laughs> this one could argue was that. Yeah. But I hate WWE cage matches, so it wasn't. Slightly regret uh, concluding this podcast now when I was going to ask a question, has Raw turned the corner? But I'll ask it nonetheless when we get to the end of all this. I really enjoyed this show yet again. And, and I think, you know, I'm glad that you guys are here because I came bounding into the office today, very excited with comparisons to Attitude Era, Monday Night Raw in terms of just bonkers stuff going on, weapons, title matches, returns, et cetera, et cetera. But I do need those people there sometimes to remind me that I am grading this on a severe curve. As I'm saying, these last two episodes of Raw have been great, and they have been great, but they've only been great because I've been watching Monday Night Raw for the last, I mean, I was going to say six months, but that's just, you know, this year. It could take the last few years and say, I mean, there's a reason why we said last week's Raw was one of the best in years, and it's not because it was that sensational. It was great, but it's because the last few years have been a bloody slog. I might be able to sanction it had AEW not realized my perfect pro wrestling TV show formula. Everything is announced in advance. There are certain contrivances that have to happen for it to be a scripted, uh, predetermined show in which everything just happily and somewhat magically occurs within the two hours. But there are little tiny but incredibly crucial details that allow me to enable my suspension of disbelief very thoughtful details something as simple as justin roberts saying or tv time remaining lets me know that feasibly it's never going to happen it did happen once and it was a bit of an anti-climax i believe it was john moxley versus pack just ended on a draw and it was like well we don't have time to do the match and then they realized subsequently that a narrative hook for next week is preferable to reminding you of the realism of the mm-hmm. show. But the fact that they've done it once has lingered with me. The fact that they account for it happening again with just something as simple as TV time remaining. Mm-hmm. Something as simple of, right, okay, what if someone didn't interfere in this match and the match just went out? as planned. What was your main event going to be? This doesn't happen on Dynamite. The fact that it doesn't happen on Dynamite and I watch Dynamite every week just brings it to focus. And I said these things all before Dynamite happened. What were you saying before? I was saying the exact same thing. Tony Khan read the article. (laughs) Uh, Look, it's just, I just cannot get on board with the format of the Mm. show. I just simply can't. um, I can't get on board with WWE's version of the Steel Cage match. So I will say that if you're a WWE fan, you're probably thinking, oh, this is great. This. Yeah. There are hot matches. They've strapped up somebody who's a star who deserves to be strapped up. Um, you're getting some extreme rules matches. You're getting matches that are quote unquote big on TV. If you can sanction the way, the way with which they approach TV, I can understand the praise directed towards the show. I simply cannot stop thinking about the contrivances. But let's crack on and 
I'm sure I'll get the better mood. I thought I thought Brian Alvarez had a very very good tweet as well that I saw this morning, which was this was what Extreme Rules possibly should have been. It was a far more entertaining show than Extreme Rules, in my opinion. It was more, it was better, I guess, and it was it was more extreme. So that's just the comedy of it. It's more extreme than Extreme Rules. Mm. So. It's just, they're just inept. Well, it's, it's something we come back to now that as much as I sit there and go, why wasn't this an Extreme Rules? Because TV's king now, the TV rights fees, etc. It is, but don't call it Extreme Rules. Yeah, I've got no complaints whatsoever, given where the money is, to do massive stuff on TV. I It was a slow realisation, but I've got there in the end. But, you know, don't call your show Extreme Rules. No. It's just... Here's Hamlet. Hamlet, be kinder to the show because I'm bringing down the mood. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this show. I thought it was another great episode of Monday Night Raw. Again, grading on a curve. But what, what do you think? Has Raw turned a corner for you? Uh, I but like it'll turn back next week. Like not to be like a miserable bastard or anything, but it's I don't think I think it's like almost impossible to judge trends in WWE unless we're talking in years, like absolutely years. Um. If, like a couple of months ago, I remember like talking about how oh, yeah, 2018 WWE was really, really good because you can isolate, say, like 10 things that you thought were awesome. Sounds like something we literally might have done for a list, in fact. But even then, reflecting on 2018, there'll have been absolutely miserable week to week experiences of like numerous characters as well. There'll have been episodes of Raw that look just like this one. Um, I mean, I don't know what you've said to listeners, but I've just dropped onto this Zoom call. So for all I know, you might have already reviewed. Big E versus Bobby Lashley in the opener, which is ideal because it means that I won't have to talk about Big E, Bobby Lashley because they definitely didn't do it later on in the show, did they? So I missed <laughs> out on the opportunity to talk about that one match that we definitely just got once and didn't get twice. It's that thing that they do where this week it was the join us for the first bit and then we'll screw you. And now we've screwed you. Please join us for the last bit because we want your ratings point for both. It, they've, ne- they've always operated in this way. Um, especially when TV is king and rights fees are kings. I'm like exactly the same as Sidgwick. I think we mentioned this on the Extreme Rules podcast. Like it's it took a while to like retrain your brain into thinking, right, the pay-per-views are there as much to lead to television as the other way, especially when AEW came along because they're still doing it. They're trying to do both, I guess. They, they do want you to buy your, you know, you make your quarterly pay-per-view investment and it feel prestigious. Um, in WWE, it's not the case. And I don't know what that, because I came on halfway through, I don't know what that Extreme Rules conversation was specifically in relation to, but there was a match on this Raw that was more extreme than just about everything on the pay-per-view yeah. last night. Everything. They went, they did a Raw Rolls on with a spot that was more dangerous than anything that happened on the pay-per-view called Extreme Rules. Like, it wasn't as good as a running ramp V-trigger, but it was pretty extreme. Um, yeah, it's like, don't try and make sense of it and don't try and assume that like Raw's fine now. And like, if, if Raw's fine, the irony being that if Raw's absolutely fine, this latest news on the strain in the relationship between Fox and WWE means that it'll stop being fine because they'll take all the good bits for SmackDown. <laughs> yeah, but I, I will come back and say that I did really enjoy this Raw yet again. And uh, as much as there were there was shenanigans, like you say, to stretch the good bits out across the show, there was still some really entertaining bits. And it started with the opening match of the night being a WWE championship match. The show started, we had a big video package showing the money in the bank cash in, showing what happened at Extreme Rules. And then we got Big E versus Bobby Lashley for the WWE championship. And these boys throughout this show 
beat the crap out of each other. They properly went for it. Uh, epitomised by initially Bobby Lashley backing Big Uppy in a corner, breaking cleanly, but clearly having some words with each other. <laughs> Biggie just smacking a taste out of Bobby Lashley's mouth. So Lashley responds, beats up Big E, comes up bleeding from the mouth. Uh, later on, they both go for two huge clotheslines as a double down. Uh, Big E tries to fight back. Lashley reverses with a swinging net breaker. Big E goes to the big ending, but Lashley escapes. He grabs onto the ropes, pulls himself onto the apron, and Big E hits that bonkers spear through the ropes to pop the crowd. And suddenly, the Hurt Business are back together. Cedric Alexander, Shelton Benjamin are ringside in their Hurt Business shirts, nodding to each other, nodding to Bobby Lashley. They don't get involved, but they distract Big E enough as he's getting back into the ring with Bobby Lashley to allow Bobby Lashley to nail him with a spine buster. He hits him with a spear. It looks like Bobby Lashley has the match won. He is going to regain that title of his when all of a sudden the New Day come down to ringside to even the ringside odds, I suppose. Kofi and Xavier uh, attack Shelman and Cedric, and the fight spills into the ring, flying into Lashley and Big E, just as Lashley was going for the pin. And uh, the match gets thrown out. Big DQ finish here. Continuous brawl from, from all six men. Uh, Kingston and Xavier Woods hit dies to the outside and oh, the officials have to come out and try and separate them when Postman Piers enters and shouts how this is not how it's going to go down here tonight. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be done inside a steel cage and the crowd, to be fair, as you probably would, absolutely love it. Uh, Hamlet, your thoughts on the opener? Ah, my thoughts are all over the shop, man. The work was good. Um, WWE, I would say, in the last month have happened upon a formula. So, unfortunately, like, I don't want to be a complete miserable bastard, but like expect this to be beaten into the ground. There is a style of match that we've seen the likes of Bobby Lashley, Big E, um, even Randy Orton get involved with over the last month, where they have moved away from forcing through like a, a brief midsection where somebody slows it down to heat it back up again. It's whenever they find these formulas, and I can think back to several over the years, remember how like fun the big multi-mans were for a little bit. You couldn't wait for the next pay-per-view with a multi-man with like five guys in because they just figured out how to book it. Early this year, Sheamus and Drew seemed to lock down their own thing that was just theirs. And they had a real like fight forever energy about them. This is one currently, and I would say it's most closely tied to the big WWE Championship reign, which is tremendous. Um, so like, I'll take more of it because it's hugely entertaining. It's somewhere in between the meme that Biggie himself created about big meaty men slapping meat and the, like, the idea now that giant guys have actually got to be pretty good as well, that there isn't much space anymore for the big lugs of late 80s, early 90s, WWE. You've got to have more about you. Um, so it's, it's perfect, I think, from a TV viewing point of view. Um, the finish was what it was. Wrestling is fake. So Adam Pearce didn't say, I won't have this go down like this tonight. What happened was they wrote this to go down like this tonight. Like I felt patronised by it this week. Some week I'm more lenient towards it. The business stuff is, it's going to work for some people because people really like that stable. And it was like inexplicable that they were really split up in the first place. Um, but it's, I think it's really subjective as to what kind of enjoyment you're going to get out of that. I understand the people that will have just been thrilled to see a stable that they really liked reunited on television. I, I, I totally get that, but maybe it was the mood I'm in or just my lack of faith in this process. But I was actually left thinking it like it was really thick that you split them up. 
and there was no effort, not a shred of effort made to explain away weeks of Bobby Lashley decimating these guys. It was just put the T-shirts back on and forget about it. Like they've thought about this this afternoon or last week and just done it. There was no attempt to tease this out. You know, there was no sort of, Bobby Lashley got into a car park fight with the New Day to build up that impromptu six-man at Extreme Rules. Could like if this was really on the docket, could they? Could you not have seen like Shelton and Cedric together again for the first time in a while in the background of that shot, questioning whether or not they should get involved? No, because it was thought of today or it was decided upon today, and it was those mechanics I was looking at rather than the presentation that was being shown to me. That's WWE's fault. That's not mine. I think the only reason they've done it is so someone can take a jackhammer and they're not called Bobby Lashley. I think Cedric Alexander is going to be the one to eat a jackhammer. We were talking about this yesterday. But hopefully that means that Bobby Lashley wins the match with Goldberg in Saudi Arabia because shenanigans. But the Hurt Business are back together and this match is going to drag out to the end of the show, which, do you know what? I sort of rolled my eyes about, I know you sneaky little bastards, but it's Big E versus Bobby Lashley inside a steel cage. I'm kind of all right with it, even though I am allowing a lot here, Michael Sidgwick. I hate WWE steel cage matches and they had a better match that built to the steel cage match to the most carny intelligence insulting mechanisms like you knew when it went on first and they had no other announced main event you knew hopefully you're not a goldfish listening to this um you knew it simply wasn't going to get a finish you just you knew they were going to do something so i couldn't invest in it as a result that something was the apparent reunion of the her business lashley might not have anything to do with this who the hell knows as it stands they have reunited, it would seem, a monumentally overrated stable that just was so much better in everybody's, everybody's heads than it ever was on TV. They looked cool. They were, in theory, a great bunch of heel bastards. It never worked. If you remember, they've had a match with Apollo Crews for like four months consecutively. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've used this before, but like, if you look at the cage match listing for everything the Herd business did in 2020... It looked like they've not just made the towns, they've made the continents in a <laughs> never-ending house show look where every single match is the same, same length, often the same result, maybe the 50-50 that we, all, we got to. And yet it was held on live TV during the pandemic in one location. So the Hurt Business were always bad, in theory great, better in everyone's heads. And they've reunited here. And usually, if you want to reunite an act, you would like make people want to watch them or you'd make them seem intimidating if the heels or winners if the baby faces and they were inept so the big heel sorry uh, herd business reunion didn't really matter because they were inept and didn't get the job done as the faction should so it was a rubbish version of the herd business that might have reunited this was a protracted heat spot with brief flickers of the competitive beef meat whatever that Meant nothing. Uh, I hate this show. <laughs> well, next was one half of the new tag team, the Handsome Bastards. Uh, it was Angel Garza versus Eric uh, of uh, the, I keep wanting to call them the War Raiders at the moment, Viking Raiders. Uh, there was even an inset promo with Angel Garza and Umberto Carrillo, just reminding us that they are too bloody handsome for their own good. Um, short match this, Eric hits that wicked looking knee strike of his but he gets distracted because Umberto Carrillo jumps on the apron and threatens to throw Garza's trousers at him oh no Eric turns around into a super kick 
Corey Graves calls it a super duper kick and I almost quit watching Raw on the spot as a result. Garza, though, hits him with a wing clipper. One, two, three, Sige. Yeah, distraction finish and a match where a rubbish distraction finish in a two minute match worked between two performers that were three weeks ago had vanished and now are suddenly expected to care about and talk about them. I'm not doing it. The wing clipper was all right. Um, was this a singles match to build up a tag match? Are we going to get the other partners fighting each other next week? Um, faintest to praise is that they've got something to do, but like there's no heat in the tag match, is there? I don't know. Like For all we know, this has existed because they're going to split one of these teams up in the draft. And it's like, remember uh, the Viking Raiders? Well, because they're done now. We've sent one to Rome, we've sent one to SmackDown. You know, like I couldn't, I, I struggled to see what the purpose of this was. Um, and even if like the kindest critics were like, let it play out and see where it goes, where it goes to a tag match that's probably as drab as this. Or, or of course, this is the beginnings of WWE's trios division because let's not forget, <laughs> Ivar's a handsome bastard as well. So he could, could join the opponents. We get a video package uh, of the Alka Seltzer stuff from Extreme Rules with Alexa Bliss and Charlotte Flair. And then we get the second title match on this show with like four title, five title matches, I suppose, technically. Uh, it was Reggie defending the 24 7 title uh, against Ricochet. Look, they do. Brilliant flippy bollocks to start off with. Backflips each out of the corner. And we see that uh, R-Truth and uh, Drew Gulak and Drake Maverick are all sitting ringside to watch this. More acrobatics. Uh, Ricochet wipes out Reginald with a dive. And then R-Truth and Drew Gulak, signalled by Drake Maverick, attack DQ in the match because 24-7 championship rules don't apply when there's a match going on. But after that, they immediately reactivated Sige. Um, they attack for the DQ. Ricochet moonsaults onto Truth and Gulak. That looked great, of course. And then Mavericks on the walkie-talkie to call out Akira Tozawa because Reggie's trying to get out of Dodge with his title. And he tries to attack Reggie, but Reggie hits that mint spinning crossbody and legs it. And Akira Tozawa sits disappointed in the ring. When I say this is woefully unfunny and nonsensical, people might think, oh, well, it's perversely entertaining. No, it's not. It's also completely drab and boring. Um... There's nothing I don't care about this. Uh, you know what? I resent, I think I'm in a bad mood and resent the show even more than usual because you every now and then you get like a glimpse into a different life you could be leading. And um, I'm not much of a video game player. Bought a Switch for James because he'd had a phenomenal year at school last year. And you know, like he's living through a pandemic. You know, I fancy playing on the Switch as well. So for all those reasons, <laughs> he purchased a Switch. And for my birthday, I got Hades. I played Hades for the Switch. I play Rocket League exclusively on my Switch. I'm not a big gamer, so I thought, you know what, get a game that everyone says is awesome, that you can sync time into, that isn't this really big, expansive open world in which you get lost, because I don't have time for that. Mm -hmm. I want to pick up and play a title that's exhilarating and hooks you into pick up and picking it up and playing it time and time again. Hades is awesome, and I was playing it, and I was getting hooked, 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 hooked without going too much into Hades law, <laughs> Find your way through hell. Your dad, Hades, hates you. The gods like you. So you get killed over and over and over again. But to assist you... On it's your, very Triple H, this. Yeah. To assist you on your journey, the gods 
help you out with booze, weapon upgrades, and like like a sledgehammer. Yeah. You dash about, and it's awesome. Ah. If you time a dash and then dash again and kill like a pretty like obnoxious enemy. John Laurinaitis. Yeah. <laughs> that is exhilaration. It's awesome. The combat is so perfect, so precise. And then one of the gods helps you out. Your dash now doesn't just launch into attacks. It helps your attacks. I'm dashing people and killing people. It's awesome. Now look, boom. And it's like, it's creeping up to 11 o'clock. And I'm thinking I've got to get early, up early for raw. So what I do is I put down the thing that I'm enjoying, knowing that I have to sit through the thing I don't enjoy the next day. But it was funny when like, Reggie did the flips, wasn't it, Hamlet? Yeah. <laughs> so it was funny to think of Vince McMahon in Gorilla watching this and thinking to himself, I've heard people going on about this ricochet. Loads and loads. Why? I've already got one. He's called Reggie. They both do flips. Like, he, he watches this match and he's like, what's the difference? Like, if anything, he likes Reggie more because Reggie came from the literal circus which is closer to McMahon's P.T. Barnum instincts than it is Reseda Hall, where Ricochet came from. You know, like this is, you're seeing these two people and he's just going, whoa, mirror match. This is like when Shane McMahon worked AJ Styles or Shane McMahon worked Undertaker. <laughs> They're both the same. Um, and that made me laugh, unlike the content, which did not. Uh, disqualification, man, piss off. Like, it's a DQ. That means Drake can use his walkie-talkies again. <laughs> Frig off. Uh, so we're backstage with Kevin Patrick, and uh, he's in it. <laughs> he popped huge when he was on the kickoff show yesterday. I didn't when watch it. Was it. Extreme Rules. I didn't watch it. Oh, I have to. <laughs> I just got to do my accent. No one's actually paying attention to what they're saying, but still. Anyway, he's in Kevin Patrick, apropos of nothing on that pre-show, brought up a conversation where he was like chatting up a lass in a bar, and he was talking about like his Irish accent. And like you could see JBL go full like SmackDown 2005 all over again. Like his shoulders suddenly stiffened on the other side of the And I bet you struck out. So anyway, he's interviewing Riddle, uh, who's, who's on his own. And he says Randy Orton's taking a break because he needed to take a break. Otherwise, he'd RKO him out of the country. That's what he said. Um, he, uh, he's got a message for Orton. Again, I think he thinks he's died. He says he misses him and loves him, uh, and he's going to make him proud by beating AJ Styles. And then he pops his head Are too proud? Randy. Sorry, I was about to do my AJ Styles thingy voice. Randy Styles. Randy Styles. Randy proud by beating AJ Styles. And then uh, as Kevin Patrick goes to ask him another question, he just puts his headphones on and rocks out to Randy's entrance theme and suddenly realises that AJ Styles and Big George have stood behind him and they stare at each other for an awkwardly long amount of time, Hamlet. I appreciated the hashtag LTST in this because we learned about three weeks ago that Skyline Chili is mid. So it makes sense that Randy Orton would enjoy that. <laughs> uh, Akira Tozawa is still in the ring after the silliness that happened earlier and uh, he gets on the mic and he says he demands a match against literally anyone Keith Lee returns Keith Lee's back all is good in the world again he is now Keith Bearcat Lee and he wrecks Akira Tozawa in like 30 seconds basically Uh, Tozawa runs into a huge clothesline gets splashed in the corner Lee does that thing where he just Always someone ridiculously high and across the ring uh, and hits him with a big bang catastrophe. One, two, three. Keith Lee's back, Sige. Like, 
How are you not exhausted all of the time? Cocaine. Who <laughs> like, cares? I've been told not to invest in this fella. And as he's, he's a bear cat now. Now he can invest. Bear cat. This is going to be even more unbearable when Shayna Basil comes out. Though. Oh, just you wait. There is a point to this bear cat excitement. What is happening in WWE right now? And this goes from NXT 2.0 all the way to the main roster, as we saw with Bearcat. And as we've seen with um, Nikki A.S.H. And as we see later on with Doodrap, um, they've gone so, what do you think, that it is starting to prove itself as the best way to get on television and make something of yourself. Um, Vince McMahon is so livid with his goddamn son-in-laws, small guys and gals that bore him with all their wrestling, that he's going completely the other way. And it is absolutely, what can we slap on a wrestler? Superhero outfit, dancing gimmick, old wrestler's nickname. I mean, let's be honest, like Keith Lee's gear here was better than it's ever been since he's been on the main roster. Yeah. Like the bear, the bear cat look was actually pretty old. The, in what little happened in this match, like a minute long, 30 seconds maybe, Keith Lee's style changed from working big man to 1991 big man. Like he moved slower. That throw was the sort of throw that they would ask like Omos to do. That wasn't the type of like Keith Lee throw where he darts across the ring and does something awesome as well. It was just, I'm massive and you're really small. And Keith Lee, for better and worse of his loyal fans, has spotted this and has thought, right, well, this is absolutely what this company wants. I'm going to make potentially a bit of a tip myself to a lot of hardcores, but this might get me over. All of this will contribute to a ludicrous wrestling show. Like there will be so many characters that will be risible efforts. However, how much fun has NXT 2.0 been to rip the piss out of? Yeah. It's coming to Raw. It's cool. This is like, this is feeling company-wide, like company-wide, to the extent where SmackDown, the good show, had a main event on somebody on Sunday where somebody came back to life when the music played and then fell off the ropes. It is happening on the quote-unquote good stuff, the most important stuff. This is like... This is a what we are watching is a philosophical shift, like more obvious than the backstage machinations that we thought often went on between Triple H and John Laurinaitis. That's what Bearcat was last night. I, I agree. I, I don't appreciate your tone, but I do agree. With <laughs> and well, first of all, what do you think, Sige? I've already told you I don't care. Okay. I here's my broad point about this company. If they do good things consistently for a year, and the thing is, it's like even if they're good, WWE, I'll still think it's bad because WWE is automatically bad as we've <laughs> through. They'll have to do it for a year. Like, I'm not a goldfish. Like, I'll look at the way they've handled Keith Lee. Like, McMahon took one look at him and was like, Meh. Bruce Pritchard took one look at him and was like, get about the developmental to work on fundamental. Bad fundamental. <laughs> They've put him in a, effectively a T-shirt because they think he's fat. They've booked him against Randy Orton because they were desperate for a star. Then they thought, I erased that. That didn't happen. And then they've just, yes, he's had a prolonged, horrendous injury. But since he's come back, there's no plan. There's no direction. There's no conviction. Let's go on to the next thing. I'm excited for what comes next. And for some reason, I can't quite put my finger on why. I've got a good feeling about Shane Thorne as well. 
Just really something. He's another one, man. Something good's going to come from him. And, I, I, you know, it's a shame that I'm referring to him now as Shane Thorne because I thought, I mean, I had no notes on Slapjack. I mean, I could have written them on the paper plate that was over his face if I had any, but I didn't. And now, I don't know, I haven't seen or heard anything, but I'm just excited to see what happens next with Shane Thorne. I know, yeah. you, call it, you call it a gimmick? This is a gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend <laughs> that I don't right Hold now. it in. Hold on. And our current faves. And... Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Anyway, uh, moving on, we had a pre-tape promo from uh, Damien Priest saying he's going to finish Seamus once and for all. Have you rewatched Crocodile Dundee of late? Uh, no. It, it's problematic. So if they go full Crocodile Dundee, I thought she was a shamer. <laughs> that won't fly. But Vince McMahon will probably watch it to get ideas on Thorn and things. 
Um, so yeah, it might get perversely entertaining because Vince might get cancelled. <laughs> well, Shane Thorne will get cancelled. Yeah, Vince McMahon will not get sideways cancelled. Yeah, we've already lost the woke gimmick from NXT 2.0, haven't we? That's a, a real shame. Joe Gacy. Now he's got. Uh, that's what happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just going to get. I mean, yeah. I told you, will whack them. Okay. Right. <laughs> Uh, they announced that the 2022 Royal Rumble. Is... I just want to make it explicitly clear that I only want transphobic things to happen on WWE TV so that Vince McMahon finally gets cancelled. Yes. And I don't have to endure it. Yes. Because he's long overdue getting cancelled. Without question. Uh, they talked about the 2022 Royal Rumble, which is going down on a Saturday uh, oh, next year. Uh, and then we get a, a serious promo from Big E. He's flanked by Kingston and Woods. Uh, he's talked about calling his shot, cashing in his briefcase. He said that he thought New Day was going to win last night. He called that shot as well. And he's calling his shot again tonight. He's going to retain the title. And then we got the match we probably should have got on Sunday night. Damian Priest versus Sheamus, US Championship. Uh, no count out, no submission. Anything goes. This was the Extreme Rules match, but good. Aside from we didn't get the Sheamus top rope dancing spot, which was one of the highlights of Sunday night for me. Yeah, they just beat the piss out of each other. And it was really enjoyable, this. Um, lots of weapon stuff, of course. Uh, Priest sets up a table quick, pretty early on into the match. Sheamus fights back, throws him into the steel steps, and then they're fighting on the apron, and Sheamus manages to hit Damian Priest with white noise through the table. We come back from a break, and Sheamus is wailing in with a kendo stick. He hits a power slam. He gets near fall for that. Goes off the top, doesn't do a dance, though. So that allows Priest to nail him with the kendo stick and attack him repeatedly with that. They're all really showing the welts up in this match, uh, both guys. Uh, Priest tries to make a comeback. Sheamus is in control, though, uh, and drives him face first into a steel chair that's been wedged between the turnbuckles. Sheamus goes for the bro kick, but Priest recovers and just throws the chair at his face. He hits a choke slam for a near fall. Uh, they're trade reversals, but until Priest throws Sheamus into the table that's propped up in the corner earlier on in the night. And Priest hits the reckoning for the victory. One, two, three. He retains the US title. I really enjoyed this match for, for as much as it's going to suck for these two guys this morning, Hamlet. Yeah, I thought this was a hell of a match and I'm not at all flirted with by the type of contest that exists so that people can put their bruised pictures online. It's the opposite of what wrestling should be. Um, so I like this for what it was more than that. Um, and evidently the audience did as well. These raw crowds um, have been the... Um, I was going to say it, like rule-proven exceptions, but I think they're just actually proving something Sidgwick said from the very beginning. Was like, it's going to be three weeks till we strangle their audiences in silence again with like with lame television. These raw audiences in particular, you know, faced with the prospect of a three-hour raw after they've already watched a main event taping or whatever it is, or just boring wrestling television, aren't just coming up for, like for anything. They're not easy crowds. They want to actually be entertained by their pro wrestling. And you could tell by the noise level in this that they got it. Um, Really, really well worked, like well constructed. A need, especially in the TV match, uh, because on a pay per view, it's always more about the wrestling anyway. But in a TV match, you kind of owe it to your viewer, knowing that you're gonna like break things up with a commercial break, or you're gonna sort of ask for unnatural breaks in the drama, like because of time constraints and things like that. And need like the weapons stuff to make sense wherever possible. And I just really liked the escalation, particularly from Damian Priest. I think you could tie this into an individual match, but equally you could tie it into the fact that he is trying to 
grow and develop his skill set as he becomes a top guy. It's the point we're going back to every week. They are not blowing this project at all. His trajectory feels real. He feels like a guy, hate the word because of WWE have ruined it, but he feels like a guy with momentum, momentum that he'll probably carry into a Royal Rumble, the right time of year to have it. And this was like another awesome step on that. I said this on Sunday. I think the universe is looking out for Damian Priest because those botches were pretty humiliating. Like he, you compared him on the stream to looking like Arn Anderson when he fell off that ring on Sunday. And then the Jeff Hardy collapse was nightmarish. It was one of them botches that just felt like it went on and on forever. And then by the divine like intervention of Sheamus doing that thing on the top, everybody's like, daft as it was, everybody got on, back on board with the match and it played out and Priest won. And it led to this, which should have been on the pay-per-view instead. Like, I, I don't know. I think there's a something is some someone out there because it's not necessarily Vincent Bruce is is protecting Damian Priest more than anyone protected the demon on Sunday. <laughs> and I thought this match like was yet again like more evidence to suggest that like things are going well for him. Really, really fun. I was amazed by how much this was good and how much I enjoyed it. As Hamper pointed out, it was elevated enormously by the crowd. There's one table bump that Seamus took where it looked like it just shattered. Yeah. I don't know if the over gimmick did, but even if they had it, it exploded, it, didn't it? Like, yeah. even, even if they totally over gimmicked it and it did well not to collapse by itself, um, that looked great. Whenever you see like the metal bits, you always think, Hardcore Holly, I remember that. Yes. <laughs> Do it again. Um, so that was cool. Like they worked their stuff around the weapons. I honestly started watching this thinking, well, Seamus uh, is a total loser. They've had contempt for you, the way that they've not built this character. He's just there. He's just reliable. They just like him. He's just solid. Um, so we'll put him in match upon match upon match, loss upon loss upon loss. Lose upwards, 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 whatever. It's so boring to talk about as it is to experience. And yet, and yet, this was really, really strong. Uh, backstage, uh, Mansoor's getting ready for the uh, trios match that's coming. Skip, I, I'm going to say skip. I'm just trying to wind you up by saying trios right now. Uh, Mustafa Ali comes in, though. He's furious with Mansoor for, for selecting Jeff Hardy, of all people, to be their partner. Uh, Mansoor said it was a great opportunity, and Ali said, oh, you know what I think about Jeff Hardy? You know what, I've, you know what I'd say to him if he was here? Oh, he's right behind me, isn't he? Jeff Hardy shows up. Um, Mansoor gets gets between them. He sorts it all out. And uh, I didn't realise Jeff Hardy wore, wore a mouthpiece. That was a nice takeaway from all this. He pops it in and they head out to beat up uh, Jinder Mahal, who is tagging with, let me just double check, Shanky and Rear, they're Jinder's heavies. Skip. No pop. <laughs> <laughs> Be a pin, skip means skip. Ah, get on with it. Here we go. Okay, enough of all that. It's now time for this. It's short, it's crap, it's wrestling related. The five star review review. Nailed it. <sighs> and this week's five star review review is brought to you by be nice pamphlet Matt Reigns. If you want your name associated with a five-star review review, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes uh, and leave us a five-star review suggesting something short, crap, and wrestling-related for us to review, just like Matt, who writes this. Well, the idiom is, 
If you've got nothing nice to say, you don't say anything at all, then Hamlet met that bombshell with um, abject silence. <laughs> Matt Rain is one of the most dedicated, if not the most dedicated listener, follower, supporter of our content. And you treat him like that. Why? Well, anyway, let me read this review and maybe you'll change your mind. He writes, for the mega fans, brackets, and my wife. He says, gentlemen, I hope, I hope all three of you are doing very well. Yes, all three of you. If you happen to... Wife isn't a mega fan. That was the implication. I'll read on. I think, I think, well, it explains it here. If you happen to be reading this on the 28th of September, yep, then today is me and my wife's two-year anniversary, brackets, that poor girl, close brackets. To celebrate the occasion, for a five-star review review, could you please review any crap segment from the Raw 25th anniversary episode? It would mean the world to me. Shout out to the one person in this world who means so much to me, and I could never live without it. Enough about King Sidgwick. Ashley, I love you, sweetheart. Thank you for everything you do. Cheers, guys. Next time... Uh, so he says, P.S. Next time you want some night cereal, Hamlet, may I suggest, and I've got the thing turned on, so I'm just going to have to do it myself. These nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations, first of all, to Mr. and Mrs. Reigns. Uh, congratulations. Ashley, two years, Ashley Matt, a hell of an achievement. I know you've been on a, a lovely uh, holiday drinking and having the best time recently. And thank you for your, all your support over the years. And yeah, Hamlet, let's say happy anniversary to these two, shall we? Yeah, well, Rap knows what he's doing here, prick. Um, he knows full well because he is such a dedicated listener, and I do genuinely appreciate all that Ashley does, keeping him, you know, away from the rest of society. Uh, that he knows exactly what he's doing because he's listened to enough of our podcasts that he's heard us talk about this show before. And while this looks on paper like a nice dedication to his wife and a helpful contribution to a podcast that he listens to every week, he knows what he's playing at because he's making us talk, talk about his goddamn show again. War 25's one of just the saddest nights. One of the only saving graces of this night was the fact that you hadn't spent four figures to go to the Manhattan Centre. And my sympathies are with anybody that did, because that was the only... That's, when I recall this night, one of the only times I thought, oh, was when I saw the people in that building about ready to riot for being for spending four figures on watching Raw on a screen and then having Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt come out and The Undertaker talk nonsense for three, four minutes, whatever it was. So, yeah, congratulations, happy anniversary and all that. But Mark knew exactly what he was doing picking this. Happy anniversary. A lot of love and appreciation extended your way, brother. Thank you very much um, for all of your consistent, kind words. It wasn't all bad, Raw 25. That <laughs> head, The Undertaker, <laughs> tear of himself. So that was funny. I really enjoyed that. What one of you selected for us? I thought we could talk about the revival. Oh, God. Because this was sort of a personification of everything that's wrong with WWE, in my opinion. Because like you say, there was we talked about this in the office uh, today, Hamlet, me and, and, and Sid and Andy, about those people who went, I bet you're jealous of me, I'm off to the Manhattan Centre. Raw 25, what well, they got in store for the true, the most dedicated fans, those people who are WWE lifers, the, the original Fed Pill ones. Well, we've got an ICO Pro sign for you. 
and a two-minute match. Um, Bray Wyatt versus Matt Hardy, and a load of bollocks promos. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Um, Hamlet will elucidate on all of this because he believes it to be the absolute death knell of uh, Raw. I think that took place in about Raw 12. <laughs> not 25, if I'm honest. But uh, just a bit of a backstory behind the Revival Burial. I wrote an editorial entitled, clever title this was, why WWE effed the Revival last night. And oh my God, the comment section. Oh, I missed that. The rule of thumb is the longer the bitching in the comment section, the more right I turned out to be. <laughs> <laughs> my two most lengthy complaints, which is what the comment section doubled as, in my head, in my memories, were for two articles. One, why WWE, the revival last night, page upon page, of whining, incorrect bitching. About You'll probably hear a few of them in the comment section of this YouTube video. About how it's just one night. No, it isn't. Was this the first main roster loss for them? It was the first time I got told they touch grass. <laughs> so I'll tell you that now. Honestly, comment upon comment of just one night. It was just one night. Relax, relax, relax. They got the rub. Yeah. Oh, there's there's a really good comment that reflects. They got that the rub. Here. They got the rub. The only rub that happened on that night was when Triple H was touching his own cack. <laughs> because at the end of the day, it's all about the X and the big cacks and how they have to get over. And hey, we're so cool that you'll get over by osmosis, irrespective of what we do to you, just by standing next to the cool guys. And just a quick note, stupid old bastards. Note on this whilst I remember because it was in the comments, and I'm not sure if I've mentioned, I've written it down. Only person to go up to speak to the revival backstage after this, X Park. X Park, of course, of course. Of course. The other article before Hamlet rolls in was ten reasons why WWE should implement a clean finish policy. Touch great. <laughs> DQs make wrestling happen. It's American wrestling. Stop trying to import you new, your New Japan principles. One was in a state of growth and the other was in a state of decline. Stop trying to apply that at WWE. It doesn't work in North American wrestling. Why don't you touch grass? Because AEW did precisely that. And look what's around the corner. Tony Khan's going to whack Vince McMahon at the end of his war. My ideas, buddy. Anything else you want to add to this before we dive in, Hamlet? What are your memories of Raw 25? I mean, watching Cedric's right. There's definitely there was a line that I drew in the sand uh, watching the show. I was covering it live for the website, and it was like it was certainly a universal uh, thing. I re recall Cedric getting those loaded comments sections, but we weren't terribly kind to the show across the board, and the grief we received from a lot of people that I just I look back at that time. A lot of people were really into giving us grief at the time in general, but for for being critical of anything on this show was quite pronounced that a line was also being drawn between the people that were like more than happy to tolerate this nonsense and the people that weren't. Um, this was WWE bludgeoning one of the last few things they could genuinely rely on, which was nostalgia. If you consider the amount of people that they brought to this show, what happened was, because this was January, it allowed Christmas to come and go with people like earnestly and really excitably fantasy booking where all these names would fit into a blockbuster three-hour row across two buildings. Because why would you not? We've announced 50 people and you love them all. Like you actually love them all. It's not this like form of Dolph Ziggler thing. You love them all. 
and you're going to be, some are going to be in this building that you also love. Some are going to be in the Barclays where it's hot and who's going to interact with who and how awesome is that going to be? And of all the people that this reminds me of more than any, I don't know why like show springs to mind, but it's um, Terry Runnels, Marlena. People like saying, you know what? Like there's a lot of water under the bridge between um, Marlena and Goldust. Wouldn't it be nice just to put them out there together one night? They've spoke about length about how nice it would be to work together one last night, do the old gimmick. Dustin Rose is in the company at the time, popular again as Goldust. And she got to the building and she was like, well, I've got my gold dress in my bag. Like, always bring your gear, you know, like, yeah, we're just going to send you out in rows of five and smile and wave. All right. Okay. And that was a theme across the night. All these names you were excited about seeing came out in rows of five and smiled and waved. And then it was like, anyway, got to get to, I don't know, Grand Metal League versus TJP. I said, like, not to be cruel to them guys, but you know what I mean? Like, it was like, anyway, let's get to that's the real point. Of, <laughs> let's get the real point of Raw 25. Um, we've bashed WB a lot today on this podcast already. Let me just praise them for thinking of an ingenious way to lock the most vociferous of their audience into one building so that the Barclays show wouldn't get shit on. That basically became a panic room. The Manhattan Centre became this place where they could show up the angriest of the fans that pay the most. Well, if they're over there, they can't boo Roman Reigns over here. Well, let's book the Manhattan Centre and lock them in over there. That was that was sort of ingenious. So uh, I've, I've sort of merged two videos here. I've merged the match. I've got a little game for you to play, guessing how long they dedicated to the Scatlers and Anderson, but Ballot Club versus the Revival match. But I also want to talk about the, the promo that came beforehand, or choo-choo, the promo train that came beforehand. Because uh, Triple H is in the ring. He's got D- he's got uh, HBK there. They're doing the DX thing. HBK is still fighting his hairline at this point. And uh, Triple H does the, are you ready? No, I said, are you ready? Because when I said we, we didn't come alone. And they like, you bap. As uh, the New Age Outlaws come out, and I watched this, and I remember how much I used to love the New Age Outlaws. And then I grew up to find out what sort of person Road Dog is. And literally, as I was watching this, you heard me shout across the room, God, I hate Road Dog. He's an arsehole. He, uh, <laughs> he comes out, he says, cut the damn music, Manha- Manhattan Centre, New York City. Let's get down to the real nitty gritty. I want you to say it like you mean it. He goes into the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, bollocks. I'll be honest, I didn't write this down, Sage, because this was when I noticed how jacked Billy Gunn was. Jesus Christ. No, sorry, we, we've got to get rid of you, Billy, because, you know, the whole PED thing. Yeah. Welcome back, Billy. Can you finish me that indoor? Jesus Christ. His arm was as big as Shawn Michaels' head. It's a little raisins. That's not uh, hard. Oh. Uh, <laughs> anyway, next up, the real star comes out, his X-Park. Because Xbox, great. Uh, and he cuts a promo and he says, I know this is a DX reunion, but you can't have a 25th anniversary of Raw celebration without this guy right here. And uh, it's Razor. Where? Down here. <laughs> Razor Ramon comes out. And I thought they mugged him off on the YouTube version because they did the flat snap cut to him in the ring. I thought they were like, yeah, you get the old guy to the ring. In reality, this was an ad break on the show as I read up. Uh, but he says, hey, yo, now everybody knows you can't have a party on Raw without the bad guy. This Raw 25 thing is just too sweet. And then out come the Ballot Club to kiss some ass. That's what they did, wasn't it? Let's be honest. They came out and we were like, what's going to happen? Oh, there's, there's the old guard and the new guard. 
And they knew God go, let me lick those boots for you there, brother. <laughs> but bollocks. Uh, right, so let's play this game. I'll let you both have a guess. Okay, the, the video, that was that first video. Yeah. Second video is, is Gallows and Anderson versus The Revival. It's about two and a half minutes long, this video. Michael Sidgwick, how long did they dedicate to the actual match? One minute, 38 seconds. Good guess, good guess. Hamlet. Whole video's like two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes, yeah. I think Cedric's been too generous. Like 55 seconds. I think you've both been too generous because it's 28 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally Gallows just beating him up for a bit and then they just tag in. No, it's not really like, I think maybe Scott Dawson runs in and gets knocked over. But in reality, it's just like some stuff happens. We hit the magic killer. Now let's get to the real stars. Because they win, they celebrate, all the old dudes get in. And Scott Dawson's, you know, recovering. Him and uh, I keep, my brain is fighting to call them what they're called in FDR now. But they, uh, Dash Wilder's sort of uh, slumped in the corner. And Scott Dawson's furious. And they're all just being so bloody pally, too sweet in each other. Scott Dawson walks up behind Razor Ramon, spins him round, confronts him. And Razor Ramon throws the toothpick in his face. He turns round. He gets hit with a mwah, picture perfect, by the way. X Factor. Road dogs, punches, and some cock stuff from him. Uh, and then a fame asset by Billy Gunn. He spills out. Dash Wilder gets up. He swings for Triple H. Triple H ducks. He gets hit with a super kick by HBK. A pedigree, of course. And then they all get together and they all go, go up and go up and do your thing. So he's going to hit the coup de grace in the Manhattan Center and get this, like you say, get this, get this rub from all the old guys. Oh, he's going to be a made man now, isn't he? Except for the fact that the rope collapsed. No, not this time. He nails the coup de grace, but you don't see it because they're focused on Triple H going, look at this guy. What a <laughs> perfect personification of NXT. Anyway, uh, then Billy Gunn, Billy Gunn, I'm fairly certain he goes, now, like that, you blatantly catch it. And he goes, if you're not down with that, I've got two words for you. And that's the end of it all. So It was the end of it all. Yes. Was, shall, shall we go to the comment section? Before we do... I was told I was hysterical that the revival would have loved that. That it was only one night. They got the rubs. Been in the same ring with these guys been so much. If you go on Twitter, man, Dax Harwood you know, hates Triple H and especially Shawn Michaels so much. And it must have stemmed from this night. It absolutely must have. Uh I'm going to read some of the comment sections here. Uh, <laughs> these do not reflect the use myself, the Dadly Boys, or anyone at What Culture Wrestling. A lot of it initially reflects this comment from Sammy Zane. I don't think it's the real one, to be honest, who just writes RIP Revival 2014 to 2018. A lot of that going on, understandably. Uh, Hirak Mathor writes Revival Buried. Thanks, Triple H. But don't worry, Anthony Willoughby's there to defend trips. He says... Well, they messed up. They said professional wrestlers. We all know that's a term that Vince hates. They brought this upon themselves. <laughs> Leave Triple H alone. In fact, why do you pick on Triple H when he wasn't the only one who hit his finisher on them? Uh, because Scott Hall is the uh, head of talent relations, isn't he? Which <laughs> <laughs> was. Uh, Julio Mari. Oh, just this, put this in a museum. Right. Finally, Finn and the club are getting the respect they deserve. God. 
backstage picture of them all, man. Like Gallows and Anderson talked on their shoot interview after they left the company about like how absolutely desperate Triple H shot. Like, Come on, we've got to get the picture. Got to get the picture of them all backstage doing the two suites. And they were the last ones that went, are we actually going to do this or not? And they were like trying to find toilets to go and hide in too so that they would miss their opportunity. Uh, Morgan, it's a nice comment, this, writes, wrestling back in the days was fun, entertaining and hella awesome. Nice comment. Except for the fact that he spelt wrestling with an R. So, Back in the day of 2018. Yeah, was he just like, <laughs> I have no idea. There, but it? you talked about this comment earlier. It's reflected here from John Dave Dacles. If I were Dash and Dawson, <laughs> get ready. I wouldn't feel buried, but honoured instead to interact with dudes and get a taste of their finishers. God damn it. These people are brainwashed, fed-pilled. They should be expelled from society. Like, we'd all, you know, love to take a stone-cold stunner, but not at the expense of main event in WrestleMania, let's say. Yeah, I'd rather have like a career than be a mark. I'd rather be, you know, in the ring than in the seat. This is this all got, They've got DX cack home syndrome. They <laughs> <laughs> uh, have a pet peeve of mine, and people use the word literally. It's not Christopher McClendon. Well, actually, they've um, redefined literally in the dictionary as. Theoretically, in a secondary definition, it's become that prevalent that they've had to acknowledge it. See if you can help me with this comment from Christopher McClendon then. When I heard Finn Balor's music, I literally, that's fine with this bit, literally jumped out of my seat, slipped on a shirt, and literally broke my neck. (laughs) What? I mean, who's to say they didn't? Finally... This was my favourite, because a lot of it is, you know, mourning, but there's always the occasional popper in there. Dead Rich, uh, right, right at the end of the clip, basically, Finn Balor rolls out to the ring and does the, hey, arms of the air, lights up, and there's all the fans behind him, very close, because, of course, it's the Manhattan Centre. And there's a, not elderly, but older couple, compared to the, some of the marks, uh, wrestling fans that are uh, there in the Manhattan Centre. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, shag, yeah. and, they're doing all the stuff and they don't really know what to do because they're a bit older wrestling fans. Ted Rich writes, at 3.44, that woman behind, is she new to WWE? She, she seems to not know what's going on. Mara Lee seems to think she knows what the situation is. Uh, she writes, to be fair, that might be Finn's mom. And uh, we want the gold, sucker, writes, she is a hot milf. <laughs> Get in. So how do you get horny watching the click beat up the revival? <laughs> so uh, thanks once again to Matt Rains for that suggestion. Congratulations to Mr. and Mrs. Rains on their anniversary. And if you want to suggest something short, crap and wrestling related for us to review instead of a god-awful Raw segment, uh, then make sure you subscribe to What Called Dressing and leave us a five-star review. But let's return to Monday Night Raw and return to the action. And by that, I mean... The Karen Cross promo. Uh, he says he's reinvigorated, rejuvenated, and alive. He's only just begun to taste the 
Vindication! Oh, no, sorry, that's the wrong thing. Uh, sure, some of your favourites have limped out with torn ligaments and broken bones and, and broken spirits, sorry. But this is just a preliminary trial. No one knows where they'll end up, but, but I know. It all leads to the unsightly <laughs> agony that I cause. Unsightly I'm, agony is correct. Yeah. I'm going to haunt every waking moment because in the end, everyone's going to fall and pray. I kick all the asses. That's what you're saying, basically. I'm the best. I know everything. I kick everyone's ass. Like this. So which job are they going to send out to face it next? Jackson Riker, get in. Out he goes. He gets battered, cyto suplexed, and a pretty crap cross jacket. Gets the submission victory. It wasn't fresh, was it? This. I'm for what are your thoughts? I've got less than none. And yeah, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Right, we go to the back, and it's Dudrap, who's in both uh, Pierce and Sonia Deville. Oh, I've pulled something there. She, uh, there's going to be an open challenge uh, from Charlotte Flair the other one. Uh, tonight, and she wants the, the shot, and Sonia Deville's fine with that, takes a few shots at Naomi while she's at it, and uh, she really wants to see her do that funny little dance, and she does it. There's a little show of excitement that she's getting the match later on. Anything you want to say about this? No. No? Good. Okay, well, uh, Lashley cuts a promo. He responds to Big E, uh, and he's going to destroy him tonight and become the rightful WWE champion. And then we got AJ Styles versus Riddle. Really action-packed, fun match. This... Um, Riddle goes for a cent on Styles, gets his knees up, uh, hits that fireman carrying neck breaker for a near fall. Riddle fights back German suplex to AJ Styles. Styles responds by hitting a Pele kick. Riddle immediately hits him with a knee strike, though. Um, but as he's setting up for something else, Styles hits a oh, wonderful looking uh, pump handle gut buster, uh, which I really enjoyed watching over and over again on the, the highlights, to be honest. Um, Styles sets up for the phenomenal forearm, but Riddle kicks him off the top rope. He hits a PK, hits a dive. Riddle gets him back into the ring, goes for the floating bro. But Styles catches him, puts him in a calf crusher. Riddle has to scramble to the ropes. Styles runs into a really hard-looking knee strike. Riddle sets up for the big RKO to dedicate it to Randy. Uh, but Styles counters, burning hammer, Styles clash. One, two, three. Post-match almost comes in, gets the nod from AJ Styles and choke slams Riddle. Great match, this, Hamlet. Yeah, the, um, the Burning Hammer was a choice because AJ was very obviously in the mood for this. I like AJ Styles' matches most of the time, but there are certainly times where he knows that he can get away, and why would not his Asian experience, get away on a five rather than bothering with an eight or a nine when there's no narrative heft in almost all of your matches. So I, like, I don't even have a problem with him doing that, ultimately. Um, but he just seemed to really fancy this tonight. Um, you could just tell by the way he moved. He was trying to take years off his age. He was working faster. He was working slicker. Uh, maybe there's a vanity thing there because he wants to feel like he can still keep up with Riddle because of like the age difference between them. Um, they had a, a really great match on like an empty arena. I think it was empty performance center SmackDown last year. Um, that was again along these lines. So maybe there's just something of it, it being about AJ's professional ego. Nothing wrong with that, I guess. Um, it's ultimately what is the undoing of contemporary WWE, this match, because it was really great wrestling at its peak because they have the ability and capacity to sign virtually anybody they want or anybody they, they can get at least. Uh, but they have none of this ways to make their matches exciting beyond themselves. 
there was no feeling of any um, consequence of the result of the great wrestling. You know, AJ won tonight, but how many times has Riddle beat AJ and how many times will AJ go on to beat Riddle? And this is a match to build a match that we've already seen and so on and so on and so on and so on. The working of itself was good and none of it will matter. I've taken on quite a defeated tone throughout this podcast and it's for everything that my esteemed colleague has just articulated. There is literally nothing to say. Uh, this is a residual ember of a programme that's already peaked that most people have already stopped caring about. The match is very good because Vincent Mann has a lot of money and he's accrued a lot of it throughout his lifetime so he can afford um, to underpay uh, talents of this renown and ability. There were two spots in particular that genuinely... Um, Unmoved me from my absolute uh, just ennui. What I feel watching there, mm. and they were the uh, the catch calf crusher mm-hmm. from midair. Awesome, burning hammer. Not going to knock off for that. I'm a wrestling fan, and none of it matters. It's, like it's the most exhilarating thing you can't care about, and that is WWE in a nutshell. Uh, Shayna Baszler gets caught up with backstage by Sarah Shriver who has to explain her actions with injuring Nia Jax the previous week and Baszler just walks off holding her cards because she's the queen of yeah we got it uh, and then we got the Raw Women's Championship Open Challenge Charlotte Flair faces Durab and she uses the power advantage early on to take control <laughs> she hits uh, Charlotte with a senton she looks like she may be able to, to win this one to win the title she bounces off the ropes uh, setting up that crossbody of hers, the running crossbody that she hits, but then Eva Marie's music hits. That distracts Dewdrop. That allows um, Charlotte to recover and nail her with a natural selection for the win. Post-match, Eva Marie gets in the ring to, to taunt Dewdrop and stand next to Charlotte. Charlotte just lays her out and leaves anyway. Funny this, Hamlet. Yeah, this is the sort of the exception to the uh, Bearcat point I was making earlier on because... Uh, Dancing Homer went down great in Springfield, but he couldn't cut it like in Capital City. And that's what happened here. Like she's backstage, give him hell, Dancing Homer. And then she goes out and she wrestles this match and the gimmick's rubbish and they can just beat her in a minute because they don't care about it that much. They care about Charlotte. Um, so I, what, like, is Eva Marie and like, do drop still a thing? Was this just another vehicle to get over Charlotte 24 hours after she has potentially like been the one held responsible for killing the Alexa Bliss character? Like, has Charlotte not got enough? Could could this have, like if they were intent on establishing a gimmick for Dewdrop that she dances and just just loves to dance? Was it necessary that it was this show that they killed her in a minute to Charlotte of all people? <laughs> weird, it's really weird. I really like this segment. Do you know why? Because Shayna Baszler was at the end of it. No, not that happy actually, because that okay. still comes, still to come. We got a Goldberg murder threat to oh, to get in before that. So hungry, <laughs> right? But I sat there and went, ah. Oh, here we go. Here comes the nonce bait. And it didn't happen. And then I got into work today and they said, yeah, we're taking Alexa Bliss off TV for a bit. And I was like, oh, jackpot. I was convinced we were going to get some spooky nonsense here. And we just, when we didn't get it, I was so relieved. I thought, maybe maybe it was great again. <laughs> sure, still three hours long, so it doesn't matter what we're filling with. Um, well, 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 I'm going to debate that in a second because someone made a comeback. Someone's back in the game, baby. And we'll get to her in a second. Yeah, it's even Marie. Like, no, the feud no. must continue. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so we talk about the Goldberg interview because he's there by he's, he's there by a satellite. He's got a message for Lashley. He says, 
hope you're a better father than you are a liar because I knew you were lying when I said when you said choking out Gage was just a misunderstanding I love this because we got to see receive footage of Gage getting live choked out of him god damn I love it so good anyway uh, he said he'd do everything in his power to protect uh, Gage from anything and anyone that was going to try and hurt him which means if he takes him to Saudi Arabia, he's a dumbass. Um, he said, Lashley hurt his son, and now he's going to fulfill the promise he made to his wife, his son, and to Lashley. He's going to hurt Lashley real bad. Yep. And if he's lucky enough, he'll kill him. Don't say that. No. That's the wrong kind of LTST. He says, Gage is his <laughs> son, and Lashley's about to be his victim. Stop saying death stuff. <laughs> like, not be funny. Goldberg's got no business being in the ring. He might kill him. Maybe he's a big lad. He's going to have to get him up for the jackhammer if it's the, the one that he wins because it's not for the belt. Ooh. <laughs> this could be one of those, oh Christ, remember, yikes when he said that. Mm. I'm serious. I do not need to see Bill Goldberg in a professional wrestling ring again. They are tempting fate. And he was one step away from effectively saying, I'm going to kill you in Saudi Arabia. Almost killed him at SummerSlam. Yeah. Mm. And for anything? No, I don't want to see this match. I'm, I'm the same as Sidra. I got like whatever it was that they were once pitching with Goldberg. I'm not prepared to catch it anymore. Um, he's a dangerous fella. I said this on the news. I said I peaked. It didn't peak, but I was the moment where I was like, cool, and I'm done. I don't need any more. I'm totally full up now. Was when he murked um, Dolph Ziggler at SummerSlam, I think it was. And I was like, that's enough for me. You've had the title stuff. You've had the Brock, um, yeah, Brock Lesnar stuff. And you've had the big squash. I don't need any more. And then they signed him to another like five match contract. I think this might be his last one though. So I really hope that Lashley beats him in Saudi Arabia. That's the only way I, I can and, uh, be invested in this. He's done one earnestly good thing and it lasts all of four minutes. He's done several hilarious inadvertent things. And now it's just, right, he's going to kill someone. And now he's threatened to. So here we go. But if anyone can open the forbidden door, it's Goldberg because he can headbutt it. <laughs> Got him. Right, let's talk about the return of the real star of this show. Right, Stuart, do you think for two minutes? <laughs> right, can I tell him what you're doing? Yeah. Just having a little moment over here, yeah, but... Okay. Well, I'm literally just going <laughs> at the wall. Even when he's in the ring, she says, if I had that opportunity that Dujrap just had, uh, I would be Raw Women's Champion. I'm sick of being taken advantage of. All the disrespect especially from all of you people right here. So that can be anyone in the back. And they all know it just like you do. Shayna Baszler comes out. She marches down to the ring. You've got Corey Graves telling Eve Marie, oh my God, get out of there. Too late. Baszler comes in, attacks Eve Marie, Kira Fuda clutch. And then Marie's de desperately tapping out and she throws her to the outside, puts her arm in the step room. Stamps on that elbow, and the crowd are chanting one more time. And she breaks the arm of a fellow professional because Michael Hamlet, the Shayna Baszler from Elimination Chamber, is back. Oh, I think it's quite appropriate that Sidgwick has gone to stare at the wall because it's a bit like at the end of Blair Witch, where you know the monster's coming, and the monster in this case is you getting excited for Shayna Baszler. Yes. <laughs> You don't want to look at it. Ironically, um, you can dread it and run for it, but it's fucking inevitable, isn't it? Um, I Look, I actually think for the second week in a row, this attempt to rehabilitate Shayna Baszler was effective. Um, I don't say that with any hope for the future. I don't say that particularly with any sense that they've got a long-term plan for it. But personally, just two out of two. And I'll, I've reiterated this point before, 
the amount of stuff that we complain about um, in terms of nothing mattering can sometimes benefit WWE. That is to say that in two weeks, they've decided that Shayna Baszler is great after two years of treating her less than, you know what I mean? Like the goldfish stuff is the biggest problem. And yet you can just sort of use it to your benefit because it was like Shayna Baszler as a character is now two weeks old. Nothing ever happened before then. What do you think of her? Oh, she's pretty cool. She's attacked two people. Should I check her Wikipedia? No, 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 don't look at that. She's two <laughs> weeks old this is why that smackdown robot really wants to sign her she's two weeks old uh that's how modern WWE works two out of two for this i suppose is the nice thing i can say if it's as good as this for a full year we'll talk until then i'm not a goldfish she's back baby so you're telling me there's a chance oh no because this bit as well it's good oh, it's like a gravitational pull of all this bit uh right nikki ash and rhea ripley are getting uh, interviewed uh, Ripley says, look, we're complete opposites, but sometimes opposites attract, and they've got one thing in common. Every time opposites attract, it's WWE. There's never been any scenes that have ever been attracted in this division. That's all opposites can do. It's... It is ironic that they often take two steps forward and then take two steps back on Monday Night Raw as well, which is like, just preposterous that they are suggesting that this team is... They've got something in common now, because they're the tag champs. What? Okay. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, she wasn't worried about the draft because they could go wherever they want, whenever they want, because they're the tag champs. And uh, Nikki ASH is getting very giddy with all this. I wouldn't catch me doing anything like that. And uh, oh, said, sorry, sorry, where can they go? Wherever. Where, when can they go? Whenever. Okay, uh, anyway. She wanted matching outfits. She said, uh, what do you think about the colour blue? And uh, Rhea Ripley says, I think the colour blue looks good on you. <laughs> I am sat next to Will Bourne. I'm, inside baseball. I'm sat next to Will Bourne in the studio. Hamlet does it at home on this day. I'm looking at his notes and I'm dreading run from his notes because I can see in a bit of ellipsis here. Blue would look good. Dot 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 on you exclamation mark. I'm thinking he's gonna do something. Yeah. <laughs> and what he did was he went right a centimeter away from my face just then. It went on you. So inevitable. Dread from it, run from it. This <laughs> suddenly feels much smaller. It echoes a lot, you know, with the little born. When he says hello, like <laughs> he says hello. Uh, should we get to the main event? Oh, please. Okay. Uh, it was the steel cage match uh, that we'd all been looking forward to. Bobby Lashley versus Big E for the WWE Championship. Lashley attacks Big E as he's making his entrance, batters him around ringside, throws him into the barricade, throws him into the steel steps, the post, the side of the cage, everything. And he hits uh, Big E in the back with the steel steps. Is Big E even going to be able to get into this match as we go to a break? Yes. When we come back, they're in the, they're, he's just got into the ring. He's recovered. He demands that they start the match. Lashley rushes him. Uh, immediately hits an STO uh, for a one count. Lashley recovers, tries to spear, but Big E uh, hip tosses him into the buckle, uh, drives him into the cage. Big E sets up for a big ending off the ropes, uh, but Lashley counts it into a sleeper. Of course, no uh, rope breaks or anything like that. It looks like he's basically made Big E pass out and he's just going to climb the cage but Big E recovers, climbs after him, bounces his head against the cage. He falls down. Big E starts climbing. Good baby face. I know you're going to say good baby face. Uh, real in all this. Uh, tries to climb out and win the cage match when Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander rush down, start attacking Big E, making sure he can't climb out of there. Lashley tries to get through the door, but 
Hey, mate, I'm, I'm a child. I popped for this because I could see it coming a mile off. Lashley starts climbing out the door. Xavier Woods slams it in his face. He super kicks Cedric Alexander. The brawl starts again at ringside. Kingston climbs up the cage, knocks down Shelton Benjamin, does a trust fall onto... Alexander. I, 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 I don't know what. I've got this new watch and I don't know. It's just said, here's Cedric and Alexander. I don't need any of that. Anyway... Uh, what was that? Oh, yeah. Go Kingston did a trust fall onto both of them. And uh, the uh, postie ejects all of them in the commercial break. Back in the ring, Big E hits three huge uh, belly-to-belly overhead suplexes. Lashley comes back, oh, spears him for a near fall. Lashley goes to get, try and lead through the door. But Big E, with his last bit of strength, keeps dragging onto him and holding him back. And Lashley's just fed up. He won't die. Why can't he stop this guy? Lashley goes after him. Uh, Biggie out of nowhere snatches him up, hits a big ending, but Lashley kicks out. This time, Biggie goes for the door. Lashley stops him. He pulls him back in, hits a spine buster. Lashley tries climbing out of the cage, but Biggie goes after him and hits effectively a super big ending off the top rope. One, two, three. Biggie retains the WWE Championship. And as he's celebrating, Drew McIntyre's music hits. And he comes out and points his sword at Big E as the show goes off the air. Hamlet, what did you think of the main event? I think all of this was pretty good. Um, it wasn't going to be the best cage match ever because we aren't capable of that. But I would say that more than anything else, what this was, and there was an overwhelming sense of it with the use of the big ending, more than anything else, the tease of the attempted super big ending um, that we eventually got, obviously, that Big E has now ascended to the main event. Um, he knew that he could put Bobby Lashley away with his biggest weapon, and he managed to do it. I would consider this a very um, successful and, for the most part, sensible first programme for Big E as WWE champion. Like, end-to-end, they've kind of seen something through here that I think has largely been really enjoyable, mostly logical. Not a lot to get excited about. I think I've actually preferred the exchanges in the opener than what we got here, other than the build to the finish. Like, other than the build to what he was trying to beat him with, which, again, I quite liked. I think the big ending has benefited greatly from this run already. It's a kind of a stupid finisher, but people are just, as, as is the way in wrestling, people are just happy to accept this. And I thought that was, like, well deployed in the match. And, like, I would say this, because I fantasy booked it when he first won the belt, but Drew was felt like the perfect opponent for them to pretty much race to as soon as they were done with the Bobby Lashley thing. He might be getting drafted SmackDown, so there's not much time to, to do it. You know, you could maybe make it as part of the, the draft festivities, I guess, or you could sneak it in before they were separated forever. But this was the thing Drew desperately wanted. And now that his business with Lashley was finally concluded, it, it, I don't want to say it makes sense because they've just WWE'd it. A guy who's just come out and pointed his sword and it's like, right, my go now then. It's official. It's not like he's like coming off the back of a winning streak. If anything, it's a bit of the opposite. I know he beat Jinder, but he's kind of fallen short of everything else he's tried to do of late. But they did put the story in place that Drew wanted a pop at this as soon as he possibly could. And this is that. So didn't mind any of this. Uh, it's a WWE cage match. I can't get on board. And the worst thing is, it's like you feel like a dickhead when you are criticising it because the genre trappings, I can't personally... Um, leave in one part of my brain and engage another mm. part. I cannot switch it off. It's a stupid match. The stupidity of it is brought into focus when they... It's one of the things that you have to climb out, right? You have to climb out. Well, if you had pinned him, it would take you less time to do rather than the time it takes to, to just pin him instead. Stupidity. 
Climbing the cage also takes much longer than it takes to just walk through the door, which is also legal. Just utter stupidity pervades the stupid interpretation of a steel cage match, which is quite literally backwards. So when I'm watching Lashley, who has just felled Biggie in the middle, we'll pin him then. Okay, take longer to win. The door's right there. They never do. It's stupid. Because as Amplot rightfully points out, the way that they built the big ending was dramatic. The dragon sleeper spot was awesome. One of those genuinely inspired moments where that totally caught me off guard. Perfect strategy. It looks horrendous getting completely smothered by a monster like Lashley. That spot was great. That spot in the threat of the dragon sleeper informed the subsequent successful attempt at the big, the avalanche big ending, if you like, because he thought, well, he's been trapped here. And then it's all undone by the genre trappings, the stupid, logical, illogical decisions made throughout the match. And then that stupid arsehole, Byron Saxton, who's just such a little whiny prick with his voice. <laughs> he attempts to do the Jim Ross pearl clutching, that's not in the rules, that's not allowed thing. And he's such a whiny, pathetic, synthetic, insufferable arsehole about it. To steal out the third business are coming down. The cage was meant to prevent this, you stupid corny. <laughs> stupid, synthetic, pearl-clutching corny. How dare you hold my intelligence in that much contempt? I usually don't get wild up by this idiotic show anymore, to the point where I was dispassionately revering it, as I have done in this tone throughout. It was meant to prevent... Oh, was it? Oh, fine. I thought it was a brilliant ending to a great show. So there you go. <laughs> I'd love the big ending off the top rope. But yes, I can completely understand where you guys are coming from, especially when it comes to steel cage matches, especially when we've had such a spectacular steel cage match, what, a month ago? Less yeah. than that. So I can completely get where you're coming from. But it'd be interesting to see what you guys think uh, in terms of WWE potentially turning the corner. Let us know your thoughts on that and the entire Monday Night Raw from last night on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. We are finally getting around to reviewing AEW Rampage later on today and looking ahead to NXT. Do boy. Oh! Uh, massive congratulations once again to Mr. and Mrs. Reigns, Matt and Ashley. And uh, thank you to Matt Reigns for the five-star review review, which you can still submit for next week by subscribing to What Culture Wrestling and leaving us a five-star review. But for now, this has been the Raw Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. 
With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.